New writing. New North. writing. New North. writing. North. New writing. You're North. listening to a podcast New by New North. Writing North. When we think of County Durham, we envision minor strikes and a Norman cathedral. St Cuthbert's Shrine with its headless statue, a post-industrial northern landscape and a world-leading university. It's steeped in history, but we don't tend to talk about County Durham in terms of its literary significance. I'm on a mission to prove that there's more to Durham than meets the eye, that alongside its medieval city and worked-out pits, the county is home to a rich and varied tradition of literature. Over the past few months, I've been seeking out the writers, books and poems that tell the story of County Durham's literary past and present. And in this podcast series, I'll be speaking to authors and poets who either hail from Durham or have made it their home. What does it mean, if anything, to be a Durham writer? What role has this place, unique in so many contradictory ways, played in shaping their work? In this episode, I'm joined by Durham-based writer Mim Skinner, author of the poignant and darkly funny Jailbirds, Lessons from a Women's Prison. Mim has spent years delivering arts courses in prisons throughout the Northeast, and today we talk about the stories of the women she met and the systemic problems that underpin their experience. I'm Laura McKenzie, and this is Writing Durham. I started Refuse. Oh, you can call it either. Yeah, oh, no, it actually doesn't matter either way. Okay. Uh, it, a year before I started working in prisons, mm-hmm. but um, my best friend and I started this project, but um, it didn't very much, wasn't on the sign, didn't pay us mm-hmm. thing for two years or two and a half. So during that time, I was working full time in the prison. So I was always doing the cafe, mm-hmm. but the cafe morphed, in, morphed into something that could employ me and then support them in coming out of prison and then employ people. So it was, that's been the... Yeah. So it sounds like it's actually been quite symbiotic in the end. Very. Yeah. In, in a way that I kind of felt like, oh, God, the cafes, the kind of food waste stuff has grown so much. I feel like I have to leave the work with women to fully look after it. Because uh-huh. at that time we were employing a number of people, but I wasn't have, it wasn't my job. You know? yeah. But actually it hasn't been that at all because we've been able to work with the same women. You know, yeah. in, fact, in fact, exactly the same women who were part of the book in the community which has just been really lovely and there's a context for that and it's not like yeah in a community that people have been able to be drawn into yeah so it's felt very very symbiotic that's a yeah. very good word Ooh, trust <laughs> you to be good at the word <laughs> that's the one so what for the people who haven't read the book what is the work that you were doing in the prison uh i was a an arts facilitator and chaplaincy assistant so it was is it creative industries yeah. the group that you led so yes that covered a broad range of our we also ran um something called the engagement contract which was pre-classroom so that was wing wing based basically the kind of clubs and socks of the prison (laughs) although i wouldn't say it like that (laughs) because that makes it sound (laughs) you're gonna get sort of daily mail runs um but yeah that to engage people on the wings who were very very secluded right and then bring them to the classroom so I, i ran yeah i guess just arts are both in and out of the classroom mm-hmm. yeah and were you already writing were you a writer then were you writing during mm. yeah when... not really so I wasn't writing anything to do with prison I was uh so I got the job because I was doing a lot of performance poetry and I helped oh. to run um a feminist arts group called uh radical artists uh, which was very short-lived and um 
so that was my kind of experience community arts I'd always done blogging I was a kind of like a bit of a blogger on the like why are you saying it like young that? no because it's such a it's such a funny little thing oh, because okay. I was it was a very very niche kind nice. of okay. millennial liberal Christians mm-hmm. that was my market <laughs> cornered which at the time I felt like a big fish but then I realised there's only about ten of us <laughs> and I was talking to the other sort of six you know <laughs> and I live with most of them so um, but at the time I imagined myself to be quite a blogger yeah <laughs> and I spoke at about two festivals and thought it was very trendy but I mean, that looking back trendy. on it now I'm like lol I ever thought I blogged um, so, but I, I did for a bit yeah uh, and then but the book was totally conceived after I'd finished working there and Mm -hmm. just through conversations with friends that were saying like oh some of the stories you tell are really shocking you know why didn't anyone know about it and Mm -hmm. then one of those people that I spoke to about it was um my commissioning editor Emily who ended up being the editor of the book Mm -hmm. um and she I kind of said I don't think it's going to be possible and, and and she did a lot of kind of exploration into the legalities of it with her legal team at the publisher and with the MOJ and that led to her being like right well it is possible now so <laughs> off you go kind yeah. of thing. like these are the parameters and this is how you can do it yeah so yeah. so I wouldn't I actually I never kind of meant to write one and I in many ways it, it bizarrely fell in my lap in that somebody was like I think people need to know these stories I've worked out, this is how you can do it. I'm going to be your editor. You've got the deal, you know. And so yeah. I was kind of like, whoa. Like recently, I've been having conversations with other journalists. Things like, how do I pitch an article? What happens when you want to write something? How do you tell people you want to write that? And they're like, well, of course you have an agent. And I'm like, oh, interesting. I write that down. And they're like, how the hell have you got a book out? You know nothing. The, the book itself, like a lot of books that I love, it's an amalgamation of forms. So... You're telling people stories, but you've also got people telling their own stories. Did you know, always know it was going to be like that? Did that just feel like what felt right to you in terms of... So Vivian has a guest chapter. No, it was really organic. Uh, the guest chapters were just people that I was working with who said... who I was. So I did a lot of read-throughs of people mm-hmm. and just said, oh, why don't you have a look at what I'm reading and check if it kind of feels right and um yeah I spent some time with the woman being like what do you think yeah and a couple of them said like oh yeah what can I write a bit too and I was like great yeah perfect yeah. so we have um yeah three guest sections which are all just really wonderful also really varied and gives you a bit of a break from my kind of writing style which I think is nice mm-hmm. um, <laughs> as somebody with a short attention span I feel like I need variety no I don't mean that in a self-depreciating way I just think that's nice isn't it it's just very engaging and I think the aim as the subtitle suggests lessons from a women's prison like you want to hear obviously you're telling us what these women are saying but having them say in their own words it just I think that really leans into that project of kind of speaking the truth about the system and how the system is quite evidently broken. Mm. Um, at least that's the impression I got from the book anyway, that that was kind of... Was that the main drive? Is that the main lesson? Yeah, pretty much. The kind of analogy I give over and over is that um, we kind of are all in the criminal justice system 
working on you know different parts of a car like mechanics and there's a kind of fantastic wheel shining team and someone else doing really rad body work and you know fantastic steering gear person but you step back and you realize that the engine's gone and however shiny you make the wheels and however slick the paintwork you know it's not going to take you to where you want to go and for me that was what it was like working in the criminal justice system like it's you know really give everything to supporting somebody whether it's just after release or or while they're in prison but actually that didn't mean a lot in terms of sustained change if we had these really systemic problems that framed everything we were doing you know I think one of the big things that I was challenged on when I came in prison is uh, knowing who we were imprisoning as a country. So they get kind of quoted an awful lot, but actually the fact that a third of our female prison estate are people that come from the care system, mm. that's an appalling systemic problem. You know, the, the idea then that we can kind of do a bit of a sticking plaster approach, put on some jolly activities in prison and their life's going to turn around is really unrealistic and yeah I guess the book was born out of a frustration that we were all carefully tending this broken car Mm. and I wanted to yeah be a person who sort of put the paintbrush down or the spanner and step back and said hey I think the engine's gone (laughs) (laughs) you know I know there's lots and lots of people doing that you know don't get me wrong I'm certainly not playing a a shiny role in that there's some just incredible researchers academics campaigners Um, but what I can do is storytelling and I kind of wanted to offer that I think the I'm going to call it veg gate the Mm. episode where the vegetables the residents were growing these incredible giant veg and they were just going into making compost because of security reasons they couldn't be yeah taken out is that right yeah that's right yeah and what was that so people there was a chance that they could be communicating with the vegetables or any notes on the <laughs> to be honest it doesn't matter it's just unclear. Doing, yeah unclear. i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> some, some of the things i think you know like yeah. saying there's some really stomach problems there are things that happen that have always happened and this is the rule and you're not really allowed to say like what yeah well that's ridiculous particularly under our first governor our new governor is actually uh someone who does ask difficult questions Mm -hmm. and she's someone who changed the place a lot uh but certainly in those first days there wasn't a kind of route by which we could say like you wouldn't any other business you know i'm in a business now and we're frequently daily saying what could we be doing better? Let's mm-hmm. review, let's review, let's look at our outcomes. What uh, outcomes have gone well? What's unexpected? How can we change around the staff teams? That's what you do when you run a project. Um, th- that is not <laughs> necessarily yeah. happening in all branches of the criminal justice system. I guess because yeah. it's such a big beast, you know. I said that in a bit of a smug way, like my tiny <laughs> project in Chester Street <laughs> could, could teach something to the you know. <laughs> The criminal justice system, which employs thousands and thousands of people, I'm sure that isn't true. Um, I would could never run something that big. But I do think it is important to be reviewing what works. Yeah, I think it's just a really good example of just something being essentially nonsensical mm. and actually damaging. And in terms of 
you talk a lot about empowerment and the activities the residents do being empowering how horrendous to put all this energy into growing a beautiful giant leek and have it just be composted and I think to there I'm going to do this really annoying thing where I quote you but you said fighting that fight about the veg did something to combat the low level constant sense of inadequacy that you mm. had felt working in the prisons but just so is that just something that you can't help but take on very personally even though it is the system and mm. you are doing what you can do and what you're there to do but is it just like a that must be a constant emotional and psychological battle if you feel like you keep hitting up against this wall yeah partly um i think that is what lots of creatives have in common Mm -hmm. is that you want to kind of ask why and poke and see what's behind um partly i think it also displays my lack of boundaries (laughs) 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 i have famously poor boundaries um and I think I couldn't sort of leave alone and and be a part and sometimes that isn't a good thing you just need to do a task and realize you're not this kind of superman character that's going to you know reform everything and actually it's doing quite well already thank you very much um so there's something in that that I think lots and lots of creatives share where you can't necessarily be your cog in the system mm-hmm. um, without sort of having a poke around and seeing how else it could work or what could be different. Um, but also I do think that reflects in myself, um, I guess, a, a lack of boundaries. Also quite a creative thing, to be honest. Lots of creatives like boundaries <laughs> in that I wasn't able to kind of do my job and go home and forget about it and actually now uh i'm part of a uh, a team that employs people i love those guys the ones that can just come in and do the task yeah. <laughs> and not <laughs> not unearth anything and poke around but just like finish the task and go home mm-hmm. and now i'm like i want to employ those guys <laughs> they're yeah. so great and um, i'm also very much not one of them yeah um we all have our different skills this is true <laughs> you mentioned before the Governor, mm-hmm. and one of the more positive changes that you chronicle in the book is the shift from the previous governor to the one that is she still there now? Mm, yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, how much of that was to do with gender? Do you think? Um, or is it just a new person? It's difficult to know because there are very good and. Uh, progress focused male governors Mm -hmm. but in my mind one of the most powerful things that she brought was an understanding of what it is to to be a woman yeah and what some of the challenges were that are really gender specific yes and uh, one of the things that she did that I kind of wrote about when she came is is change some of the language that we use kind of talking about people as residents rather than prisoners or mm. repainting uh, the prison gates which were grey and kind of suffragette purple and green and introduce yeah new programs and things how much of that was to do with her having just an increased understanding of a very female space uh, mm-hmm. and how much of that was just because she's a good manager mm-hmm. um, I don't know uh, 
but I do think it is a significant thing that women and women in prison are most often, or in fact across the criminal justice system, whether we're talking about police or prisons, are very, very frequently um, handled in a very male system, and yeah. one which is very designed for men, designed by men. Uh, and that's not kind of unusual in that only 5% of people in the criminal justice system are women. Yeah. So it is kind of very designed for men. Um, but I think I think her being a woman just brought a very different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Language, I feel as well, throughout what part of your book being an amalgamation of different forms is you have glossaries as well of useful mm. terms. And I was thinking about language and how it can include and exclude. And I think it's that Vivian, she talks about going into the prison and the residents who've been there longer, knowing the jail talk, having the lingo. And just this meeting of the two, like two languages, one quite idiomatic and one quite bureaucratic. And just how language functions in that space I thought was interesting. I think, I don't know how, maybe that's not really a question, more of a statement. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, it was, in many ways, I approached that in in the same way as uh, I think lots of people do when they kind of go to new environments or challenge and that I was kind of fascinated by Mm. this subculture of language and subculture of ideas. Um, I'm just, sorry, remind me what I called her again? I've forgotten her. I'm remembering her real name. The woman Vivian. who Vivian, Vivian, Vivian. Yeah, can't yeah, have I it out. Yeah, no, I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is. Just to be sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Vivian's a really interesting case because in the book she reflects on her first time in jail when she's in her teens, yeah. and uh, the Vivian that I know now, I still see her is. Uh, in her 30s and actually that culture and that language has more and more become hers and become the one that she speaks Mm -hmm. so for me I found it quite interesting hearing from her about a time where that felt new and a time where that felt scary Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess yeah just reflecting with her on what became her new normal and actually um, Blackie is someone who is very well known and very well liked and a bit of a character. And between uh, writing that chapter in the book coming out, she died of an overdose. And so her family, uh, yeah, read the book and were able to kind of read her story. And I've spoken with her family about how important that was that even though she's not here and died in really sad circumstances, she had such a powerful voice. Mm-hmm. And people often say, like, oh, actually, what Blackie had to say was amazing and really important. Um, but the fact is that more than one of the women who I uh, was with on that journey writing the book have now died. And I do think it's important to to recognise that. And I've been quite hopeful in the book because I do think there are really important stories of hope. But also it's just so important to recognise that isn't always how the journey ends you know it doesn't end at the end of the chapter yeah because in the book her story 
she's she reaffirms doesn't she but purposefully mm. and then but when she's telling you her story and you're sitting in a car aren't you and it's a lovely moment like I could see that conversation taking place um and she's moved past that mm. or it seems to be past that yeah um but yeah it is it is a help a hopeful story in the book yeah it is hopeful and she was a she is a very hopeful person she sounds like good fun yeah oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. very drama yeah. <laughs> we're just on the chapter come back from a uh a women's camping trip we went on our our second one this year our annual women's camping trip and it had been just so dramatic and chaotic and just everyone tarzaning about the forest and uh-huh. you know it, it was a really a really fun and, and lovely trip um so she was really good fun yeah she's very missed the chapter where you're painting the um underwater scene mm. in the seg is that the correct language yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um that just struck me as you it felt like you were kind of that was a space where you're in this little pod with mm. the residents and just a very calm and um most a, a safe space and you're doing this painting and the i think one of the undercurrents of the book although you're unflinchingly honest about the traumas that these women have suffered and you, you say yourself I think one of the main lessons that you include at the end of the book is that crime doesn't happen in a vacuum um, but was just consistently underpinned by humour including some real laugh out loud moments and I'd love 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 I hope I've got this right but in that chapter where they're talking you're there you are talking about the things they are the women the residents are looking forward to when they get out and is it Danielle starts talking about Wobble the donkey yeah I literally, like, I snorted on the bus, which I just love that fucking donkey. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, like, unexpected, you know, that that doesn't conform to the narrative that we no, have a women all. in prison like her just being absolutely desperate to get out of this donkey yeah. that she's got. I don't know anyone that's got a donkey. Yeah. But was that... So it, when I think about humour in that setting, I think of kind of resilience and strength and it being used as a tool for that. And it felt like quite an intimate conversation in that space. Uh, when you were doing that painting and what have you but just is that something that's just throughout those relationships and throughout the prison it's just humor is being used like that and it is in fact what am i trying to say not they're having a good time but it's not all Mm. doom and gloom and like people are laughing and having fun and because it seemed like that from the book yeah and i think uh that is an important part of what happens is that people form friendships um one of the kind of the two narratives i i guess you always hear about prisons is that people are the kind of these defeated misery memoirs of you know poor old victims or you get the kind of neglectful mum evil woman you know hateful witch all that kind of thing and actually neither of those hold any water um, and the nuance is that you have people who've gone through really rough experiences who have all been put together and there's love and humour as well as um, sadness and disappointment just like any humans, you know The work you're doing now with Refuse mm-hmm. 
how many of the residents that you work with in the prisons are now part of that community and has that been part of the growth of that enterprise? Mm, mix and match. So I will just quickly explain uh, the different hats I wear with Refuse. Yes. So um, <laughs> there's still a lot of hats. Uh, so at the Refuse uh, premises, which is in Chesler Street, um, we have a um, training programme and a volunteer programme. It's a pay-as-you-feel cafe. And uh, on that same premises is the charity Handcrafted. Um, and I also run the Women's Project for Handcrafted. So we provide... Um, housing for difficult to house women so that might be people that have uh, come from hostels, people that have come from prison um, as well as uh, support groups um, cookery lessons woodwork uh, signposting to different things uh, support around um, addiction support around uh, parenting so that kind of all goes on in a, in a muddle in the cafe Um whether that's through handcrafted or through refuse um i guess the the thing about having a really open space is that it's meant that lots of women who i've maybe tried to keep in touch with but they might not have a phone or be in and out of homelessness or find it difficult to make an appointment if i'm just in a cafe that's really front-facing lots of those women come and pop by so we have lots of women who um come to our support group but we also have people who have their contact with their child um just in the cafe and that's a safe space for that or who come and get a lunch or who practice a skill learn cookery so it's difficult to give you a bit of a number um at least kind of 10 15 women a week who've spent time in prison or in the criminal justice system are around and about at the cafe in some capacity uh we have four women's houses now um and yeah also have a program where we um train people up through handcrafted and then hope to employ them in uh private catering that we do also food that would otherwise go to waste so what's been yeah amazing that almost rather than saying you know do you want to engage with this program Mm. we've been able to say well would you like to be a part of this community yeah uh, and the community at the cafe running through it is, you know, very much a, an amazing mix of, of people who are in the drug and alcohol recovery communities, um, adults with learning difficulties, people who've been long-term unemployed or isolated, or for whatever reason found it themselves to be in need of a bit of community. Um, whether that's just for a meal or whether that's for engaging every day of the week in something different. Um, so the cafe's been a real gift and and has felt like a continuation of the work I was doing rather than like, well, I've stopped in the prison now, yeah. um, partly because you know it's the exact same women in a lot of cases that I was working with inside, but also because, uh, yeah, it, we're meeting with and working with women who have been in the criminal justice system or gone through some of the same things around domestic violence or addiction those women had and um, providing a space for those women too do you do any like creative writing stuff in the cafe um i do a little bit in the cafe so we run an arts group in the cafe um 
But that, to be honest, has sort of segued into being everything from, you know, bread baking to to knitting. Uh, I support a couple of women just individually mentoring mm. them around writing. Um, but my kind of official prison writing role is now in a men's prison. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a writing residency up in Northumberland. Um, which is very, very different work to working with women and not my not my forte, but it's been an amazing experience anyway. Will you talk about, in the book, one of the chapters is when you're on secondment doing the creative writing programme mm. in a men's prison and you say there that there's a huge disparity between how those spaces function and almost what the mood is like, uh. unsurprisingly. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Because you're working between two wings there weren't your wings probably isn't the right word that's right oh sec- there's sort of about 10 wings but um yeah two sections they're kind of what's called the vp side vulnerable persons and the mains um so yeah different crimes different sense of place mm-hmm. what was the end product of that creative writing program what was the was it like an in-house publication was it yeah. yeah so uh last night was an in-house publication uh this time now uh, you can in fact this i don't know about when the podcast's out to be honest but it, it, at the time of recording you can go down to uh newcastle cathedral and see some of the poetry we've been writing recently in Northumberland displayed yeah so what role do you feel like or what did that bring to that community that space to do the creative writing and because I've I'm trained by the reader so I know about doing shared reading in prisons but I'm not a creative writer so um a lot of the work we were doing was uh providing people with the words to say how they felt so mm-hmm. one of the kind of experiences I write about in the book is um doing a collaborative pantomime writing session and we weren't able to kind of put a script together because people didn't have the words to describe the feelings that they meant and so we spent some time just writing down lists of words and and describing feelings and and putting a vocabulary to people's uh emotional expression and that felt incredibly important um just in terms of people being able to say yeah that's the word yeah that's what i'm that's how i'm feeling that's how this experience has been for me and often women in prison have had very disrupted um, education or have not everyone you know there are people from lots of different backgrounds but typically uh, problems around literacy are much much more pronounced mm-hmm. in a prison context than in any any school context I guess partly linked to the fact that so many women in prison have been abused as children, half have been abused as children, you know, a third from the care system. So that kind of time of learning and working out the words to say mm-hmm. how you feel is just very disrupted often. So that's a really powerful thing in terms mm-hmm. of writing, people being able to gain a vocabulary um, for emotional expression. And the other thing that, yeah, felt quite important was helping people to get into the practice of diary writing um, as a, a way of processing emotions and I guess having a degree of freedom in a place which is quite restrictive you know no one can stop you thinking and writing mm. um, but also yeah I guess people being able to share with others mm-hmm. how they felt even if that's kind of putting together a poem for your kids about missing them and that's yeah. sort of being a really important 
thing being able to get that down and send that out you say you suggested diary writing and that kind of like private craft as it were it's not craft but just that private dialogue with yourself um there's actually a section of the book where you quote an extract from your counseling journal what is that something that comes with the role that you have counseling as part of is that just standard or is that something you sort out yourself and what made you want to include that in the book Mm. Uh, I worked for a really fantastic charity um, a prison charity based in Newcastle and they gave me counselling and time for counselling as part of my role and were just um, very very good in how they looked after us and and supported us with our mental health Um, it's not available typically to to other prison staff and for me it was incredibly helpful Mm. Um, so I don't know what yeah what the story would have looked like I think it should be yeah Yeah. (laughs) I think it should be um and yeah I it's interesting saying uh why did you include that I actually um I didn't include it initially and my editor was saying like you're sounding a bit like in the book like you're breezing through these incredibly (laughs) difficult things because you're not saying like oh my gosh this how this left me yeah and my sense I was like oh I didn't want to weave that through the stories it's not they're not you know not all the stories are about me Mm -hmm. they're seen through my lens and spoken through my voice but actually at the end of the day it's not about like how the teacher feels about teaching the class you know my, my experience wasn't the point and 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 she said that it felt quite important to to have a bit of my reaction and and what it looks like for someone who's had quite a a charmed upbringing Mm -hmm. to to come across and experience real trauma in other people and and what my reaction to that was which was kind of why we included that section Mm -hmm. no I think that's very powerful and it, it and yeah it does feel like that's something that should be available to everyone working in that context yeah I guess so um I didn't really think about it at the time uh, because I kind of, I guess, started on that road thinking that it was, you know, so other people could understand about the prison service. But actually, one of the things that happened while I was writing it is I was able to kind of frame and put together some of the experiences. Uh, Yeah, it's funny putting things in a book because you have these sort of very tied up vignettes where you kind of introduce the problem and there it is solved you know five pages and actually that's <laughs> so <laughs> yeah life. and actually yeah. even the stories that end well in the book yeah. if if I could tell you what was happening with them now uh it, the happy ending would seem yeah. a kind of sort of trite tying up uh mm. even though at the time I probably felt that was much more final so in many ways uh it is therapeutic, but also, I guess, you try to frame what went on in this narrative arc where mm. it doesn't actually cleanly fit. So I guess some of it's been wedged into a narrative arc. And also some of it happened across two years that was condensed and compiled. Yeah, uh, Lots of the stories and the people were collated. Um, so, it is, yeah, I guess it's a kind of funny thing 
funny thing to to put those experiences into sixty thousand saleable words, but um, yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was it was uh, yeah, also really important for me. I think because you have those there are those moments, those pauses in the book where you take yourself off for a little walk. And then tea. That's that's where you come across the veg, isn't it? You're taking a moment, wandering, trying to find the gardens, and then is it the men's prison? You go and sit with the goats. Mm. Yeah. Do you know? I re- a few weeks ago, I went to, to sit with the goats, um, and somebody, <laughs> I was just walking alongside the goat enclosure, which is very, it's like public in the prison. Yeah. And somebody said, "Excuse me, can you tell me where you're going?" And I thought, "Oh God, I can't even sit with the goats," you know. But that is, I did think that's so indicative of prison culture. Yeah. That if you sort of just slightly walk, you know, even with my key belt and my lanyard and all the rest of it, yeah. uh, you know, 10 metres off the beaten track Heading looking at some goats. Yeah, you think, so you sort of, everyone's very sort of <laughs> suspicious. It is, honestly, it's like an absolute, it's the antithesis of of a creative, flexible environment where you sort of, people are quite suspicious of anything which is not... Yeah. the designed activity yeah. and actually there's really there's also lovely gardens by the goats with beautiful flowers planted out and I just thought oh clearly none of the staff have come to look at the garden either yeah. it's just this that kind of environment isn't it were you able you include in the book a letter asking the governor maybe if you can bring in your rabbit hmm therapy rabbit yeah were you able to bring the rabbit in no rabbit um but uh there were dogs Oh, yeah, so stray aid, uh, bring the dogs in, but the rabbit was a no. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, I mean, for everyone involved, <laughs> <laughs> the rabbit was great. I used to bring the rabbit um, round to a, an art class that my mum ran with uh, adults with learning difficulties, and the rabbit was very popular. So yeah. uh, it was, frankly, a shame that poor Winston was made redundant Winston. by the prison service. <laughs> he's he's long since died, but. You know, their loss, really. Absolutely. Great rabbit name. Mm, thank you. So can I ask you what you like to read? Uh, at the moment, I am reading a uh, fantastic autobiography um, by a drag queen who set up something called Denim, which is a drag troupe. And uh, they're called Amaru and describe themselves as uh, a... The, Muslim drag queen and describe the experience of um, growing up in quite a strict Muslim family and then um, questioning their gender identity and uh, sexuality from a young age and it's just so honest and powerful and readable and just gorgeous so top tip yeah I'm really really enjoying that um Recently, I've been—I've never been to a literary festival before, but I've just done a run of six, and so I've picked up quite a lot of uh, books there. Things I wouldn't necessarily read, but mm-hmm. have very much enjoyed. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. My—I read a, a very short, kind of easy to read novel called *Apple and Rain*. Oh. about kind of mother-daughter relationships that was quite sweet that's a beautiful title yeah 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 it was nice and um, and i just bought yesterday i feel very very pleased with myself um the new collection of short stories the zadie smith 
and I'm pleased with myself yes. because <laughs> it was £20 but had a small tear in the cover and so it was reduced to £5. And I, str- I feel, at the moment, I think... Did you haggle or was it already... No to- haggling. Oh. No haggling in Waterstones. And I do think to myself, I can't buy many more hardbacks because they are very expensive especially £20 a book and I say that as someone who's hardback costs £17 currently there is a paperback next year um, so I felt very very pleased with myself this week as you should my paperback thank That's you very much are you working on anything else at the moment? yeah well at the moment I've just had a couple of pieces um, of journalism come out long reads over the last over the weekend I had two come out and one was about um how working with women who've really experienced oppression um changed my views around feminism which had been quite sort of cross-legged mansplaining radar Frida Kahlo collective airy fairy university feminism Mm -hmm. and actually which almost was completely irrelevant (laughs) to to working the context of working in a prison yeah. and actually very inaccessible so I've, I've written um earlier this week yesterday for um the guardian on that and i've also been writing uh, i had a piece in the sunday times this sunday um writing about uh, my experiences of grief i'm uh, someone who lost both my parents in my 20s and so i'm writing a little bit about the experience of sisters and how having sisters has been really um, important and transformational so I'm I'm thinking my lines I'm writing around uh, around the experience of women but um also writing a bit more about death and grief at the moment um I have a couple of uh ideas for things but I guess I've I find it quite hard to have space to think of new ideas because I'm still kind of full-time support working, running the social enterprise. Sound like a very busy human limb. Well, (laughs) I'm not coming up with the new ideas, you know. I think, actually, creative thought Mm. is uh, such a luxury. It requires so much space. Mm. Yeah. And I do think, like, this is the reason, actually, there aren't that many kind of pieces of work coming out of prison because no one's got any time to think you know like it's such a luxury of having a bit of space and time and uh it's been amazing that I've I've had some kind of space to think about those but um at the moment I've sort of in a very very billy basic way literally been writing about my immediate experiences (laughs) like prison death and people like oh are you gonna write any fiction I'm like I don't know if I (laughs) I don't know if I could think of anything. <laughs> so are you, do you have a background in fiction as well? You're a poet, but oh yeah, yeah. but oh not really. Yeah. If I'm not a poet in any meaningful way, mm. I was one of those uh, one of one of many people who fancies themselves as a bit of a performance poet and does the odd kind of over dramatic reading down the pub. Um, but I think that was uh, to call myself a poet is probably a little bit okay. inflated. <laughs> no, no, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty much Kate Tempest, (laughs) just on the sideline. No, that's kind. I mean, thank you, I'll take it. But um, that is, yeah, I don't know how much I could go on to claim that. Um, uh, Writing is something that I love and I find really enjoyable and therapeutic. Uh, It is something which is rarely my most immediate thing. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I'd love it to be because I find it so 
enjoyable. I know some people say that's a myth and like every writer finds it really painful and hard, but writing's easy. I mean, that sounds mean, like on people who don't say, if you think writing is hard, like be a support worker, honestly. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not impressed, I'm not like <laughs> that impressed by anyone who's like, oh God, poor me, I've had a terrible Just time writing my novel. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> God, what absolute joy to have the headspace, you know, mm. people who are struggling to survive don't write novels. No. That, no, writing novels is very much higher up that, that old hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. um, and I feel very, very privileged whenever I get to have the luxury of sitting and writing. That feels like it's just a real treat. Um, sorry, that sounded actually really cruel. To no, <laughs> writing is cruel. really important. No, I'm it, sorry. But it's like, it's like working, we have the conversation here at New Writing North quite often that working in the subsidised arts is a luxury because mm. of the pay infrastructure and what have you. And it's, it's generally middle class white people especially in the north um and it there is an element of it being having space to do that creative work and that kind of yeah it is a luxury hmm. but also very very essential very know? essential yeah Agreed. and no shade on anyone who gives themselves nice chunks of time to write things because that is never going to it be a bad thing and no. perhaps we all should be giving ourselves nice chunks of time to write things agreed on that note thank you very much for giving us a wonderful book for coming into chat ah thank fun. you so much for having me laura it's been lovely this podcast was supported by durham university as part of a wider project on durham's literary heritage which has been funded by the arts and humanities research council And watch this space for future Writing Durham podcasts from me and the team at New Writing North.